Hi everyone, this is Patrick Donahoe and welcome to episode 14 of the Wealth Standard Podcast. Uh, We are still in our first season, but we have just a couple episodes left for our theme, which is life. And you are really going to love our next guest. His name is Brian Smith and he is the founder of the billion dollar brand Ugg Boots. And uh, he has quite the story, but definitely his uh, book, uh, and his story exemplify what we've been talking about for the, the last several last several months. Now you can go pick up his book uh, on Amazon, and you can also follow him at uh, Brian uh, Brian Smith Speaker dot com. Now it is a video interview, so if you're listening to this, go head over to YouTube.com and search for Paradigm Life, and you can uh, can watch the video, uh, watch the podcast in video. Uh, now I'm uh, I'm headed off to the, uh, the Investor Summit at Sea. And uh, if you guys want to, uh, to follow along, you can follow me on Inst- Instagram and Facebook. Uh, just look for Patrick Donahoe, CEO. Now also, if you, uh, if you like what you hear, definitely uh, go onto iTunes and leave us a good review. That always, uh, always helps. And uh, go check out our past episodes. We've had a really good season, some uh, amazing interviews, and uh, look forward to the next few that we have uh, coming down the pipe. All right, without further ado, Here's my guest today, Brian Smith. Welcome to the special 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating life, liberty, and property. You are currently listening to Life Season 1. Okay, Brian, it is uh, really is an honor to, to have you on. Welcome uh, welcome to the show. How's it? Hey, thank you. My, my pleasure. Well, I know that um, the brand that you're associated, uh, you know, that you, that you founded essentially is, is one of the most, one of the more popular brands uh, out there. And I really wanted to, because I've heard you speak a few times, I really wanted to get into, you know, some of the, the nuts and bolts behind your experience. Uh, but right. why for, for listeners who don't know your, your story, maybe, maybe take a moment and uh, tell people about, uh, about you um, and how your brand came to fruition and then also, you know, maybe a little bit into what you're doing today. Sure. Okay. Um, well, going back to the beginning of UGG, I was an accountant in Perth, Australia, and hated it. And the, the day I graduated is the day I quit. And I was meditating one day and figured out that, that wow, all the big trends are coming out of California. So I decided to come to California and look for the next big thing, like Levi jeans or waterbeds or, you know, surf brands to bring back to Australia. And it was after about three months, you know, I was surfing up at Malibu and the, it was October, November and the, and the water had got really cold. So I, I had brought my sheepskin boots from Australia and I was pulling them on and, and I just thought, oh my God, you know, there's no sheepskin boots in America. And I knew that one in two Australians had some sort of sheepskin footwear. And so I just got covered in goosebumps and thought, my God, this is a huge opportunity. And so... I imported six pairs of samples and, you know, initially went out on the road to the, all the shoe stores and got completely shut out. They were not even interested because they couldn't understand anybody selling sheepskin in California. But I knew that California's climate's like Australia, so that wasn't really the answer. And it struck me eventually that all the guys I was hanging out with at Malibu thought it was a really cool idea and, and, and I, I realised that they most of them had been down to Australia on some sort of surf trip and they'd brought a few pairs of boots back for their buddies. 
And so within the surf community, Ugg was pretty well, you know, sheepskin boots were well known. And so I started going to the surf shops, you know, with my samples and every one of them said, oh my God, what a great idea. Those are fantastic. You make a fortune. So I raised like 20 grand uh, from some investors and sent 15,000 down to Australia and bought 500 pairs. And they arrived in uh, like late November, early December. And I got organized, you know, got all the you know, sizes and styles in my car. And I went back out to the same surf shops. And every one of them just went, oh, man, great. I, great well done, Brian. You know, but we couldn't sell them in our store. We just sell surfboards and trunks and bikinis and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, but don't worry, you're going to make a hit in the shoe stores. And this happened all the way down the coast, you know, from, you know, Malibu all the way down to Mexico, basically. And my first year's sales ended up being 28 pairs, which just happened to be exactly $1,000. And, you know, from somebody who thought I was going to be an instant millionaire, this was a hell of a letdown. But the good thing that came out of that is that, you know, years later I wrote a book and, you know, because I'd started many, many businesses and I noticed a theme that you can't give birth to adults. You know, every business is conceived in someone's head and then the first action's taken. Like the, the birth of Ugg was buying six pairs of samples and then every business and movement just, lies there and it lies there and there's no amount of urging it or you know feeding it or shaking the cradle an infant can't get up and go to college it just has to be an infant but if you can wait that period out and then that's a dangerous phase because most entrepreneurs with a new idea give up in that phase they don't realize that it takes so long to to get toddling but when it does toddle that's cool you know magazines are writing articles about you and you know the first true believers are buying a product and that will eventually hit the youth pretty quickly and that youth is great because you got consistent orders productions working your accounting and billing and customer services working and you can run a company up to 20 25 million dollars in that in that youth phase but if it's a really 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 good product or a service like ug was you're going to hit the teenage phase super dangerous because just like when you're a teenager you want to be in every party in town now you want to be in every retailer in the town you know in the world and, and you want to go to every trade show and you just don't have the money to grow fast like that in fact it's super super dangerous and i i almost lost control of Ugg a couple of times during that period but eventually that you know you, you'll get over that the maturity sets in and you've got a big steady big business so so that's a sort of a a three-minute story on on how Ugg got started. Well, that's a, you know it's 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 fascinating, and I know that you're you know in your in your book you talk quite about uh, quite a bit about this, but you know it's it's one of those things where I think some people have you know within them this perspective on on life where they're you know they're they're looking for opportunities, right? And, right. And oftentimes the big ideas don't come in a in a calculated in a calculated way. And, you know, I, I remember one time I was, um, I was with a, with a buddy of mine and we were just driving, we were just driving. I think we were going to get lunch or something. And I'm, you know, I'm, I always, I didn't notice this about myself, but you know, I was looking at property, looking at real estate, look, you know, my eyes were ever, even though I was, even though I was driving, he's like, man, you, you know, this is what you're doing. And he really, you know, picked, picked up on it. But I think that there are many people that look at, you know, the world and they, they see problems and they're looking for solutions. 
Yes. Here's the, but here's the thing that you mentioned, which is, you know, the, the entrepreneur, right, especially, you know, the very creative person that has lots of ideas, big ideas, there's a second part of that, which is execution. Right? Yes. Where you can have an idea, right, but to actually bring it to fruition in a, in a business, unless you've had that experience, it is, it's very difficult. And I would, I would argue, you know, from the things that I've heard and stories I've heard, and you're in these networks and speak at these networks, uh, which is if you haven't had that pain, right, it's very difficult to convince a person, right, that the value isn't just in the idea, it's in the execution of. of very, very, very much that. so, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I believe that one of the key ingredients for an entrepreneur is a certain level of ignorance. Because, because if you knew what was ahead, you probably wouldn't start. And, uh, you know, I, I came to America completely ignorant. And even when I started UG, I had no idea that Americans didn't get sheepskin like Australians do. You know, they thought it was delicate and hot and prickly and you couldn't get it wet. And, and all of these are totally wrong because, you know, the surfers know that you can put them on with wet feet and they wick moisture out and they insulate. So you can't. Even in a hundred degree temperature, your feet still stay foot temperature because they breathe. But in minus twenty degrees, they keep your foot at foot temperature because they insulate. You know, so you know all these things were lost on Americans. And what I thought would be a slam dunk, you know, an instant millionaire type business, it took me five years before I even got traction and was able to pay myself anything. I, I worked four summer jobs, you know, four four different summers. Well, it's one of those, it's the whole Peter Thiel, you know, zero, zero to one. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to make, you know, sometimes you can compete against an inefficient business, right? Where, you know, Netflix competed against Blockbuster yes. and, you know, it won because people understood the value of watching a movie, right? And having it convenient. And, and, and I think that took off. It didn't take, you know, a really long time, but to go from like, no trend to trend like that zero. Yeah. That was UG essentially, right? Yeah. So walk through like the, the lessons behind behind sure, that. Sure, sure, because you know, that was popular, but nobody knew what they were, even though they solved the problem. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really good story. Uh, the after that first year, where I saw twenty eight pairs. I, I started advertising in local newspapers the following year, and the sales went to about five thousand dollars and. So the next year I decided to get some you know, models and put them on the beach. And uh, I did that in the site that, you know, that, that I just, you know, didn't really pick, you know, I, the models were friends of mine. And so the third season I said, okay, I'm going to get professional models and a really good photographer. And we posed them on the beach with, you know, the, the, the boots were like that big in the ad, you know, and, and, you know, perfect hair and clothing and, sunset and everything and the sales went to $25,000 and I couldn't figure out why it wasn't getting better and so you know after the third you know summer job I was thinking you know what am I you know going to do and, and I so I, I was almost trying to figure out how to how do I get out of this business how do I get rid of all these hundreds of pairs of birds and uh, I was having a beer with one of my surf shop retailers and explaining this problem and he just goes oh, shut up Brian and he calls to these little grommets who you know keep their surfboards in the back room and he says you guys what do you think of UG and you know half a dozen 12 13 year old kids come out and they go oh those Uggs man they're so fake have you ever seen those ads those models they can't surf 
And instantly I knew I'm sending the wrong message to my target market. Mm -hmm. And as every good entrepreneur does, you have to pivot, you know. So I figured, okay, well, what's what's the problem here? And I, I called up a buddy who was running a National Scholastic Surf Association with all these young high school kids. And I said, Pete, you got any young kids who are going to turn pro soon? And he gave me two names, Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson. And so instead of hiring you know, expensive photographers. I just got my own camera and we went surfing to Black's Beach down in La Jolla and mm -hmm. Trestles up in San, Fran San Onofre. And these are classic surf walks. You know, they're about a mile to get to the water and there's fantastic surf there. And I just did photographs of these guys walking to the beach and I knew, well, I hoped anyway, that all of the you know young kids reading Surfer Magazine would just die to be in a photo going surfing with Mike Parsons at Trestles, you know. And so when I ran those ads in October, November, December, the sales went to $200,000. Why? Why? Because I finally connected the right image with my target market. And that was a huge learning experience because from then on, I, you know, I became a student of marketing and, and that's why I became a billion dollar business is I figured out how to get people into the ads you know I, I i tried to make them so compelling that anyone reading wanted to be in that photograph and you know the the the, the weird thing is that the successful ads the boots were like tiny tiny like one twenty twenty thirtieth of the page compared to the original ones which was all ug and the product is immaterial in the ad it's getting the getting the reader into the the, the environment where they just desperately want to be part of the group you know and that, you know, using that for snowboarding and then you know, back in the midwest nobody reads surfer magazine and, and there's no mountains so but they all play ice hockey in the winter so i, I got into the young ice hockey players and and so using that same method i was able to get a really really strong following in all these different areas across the country so all right so let, let me back up two steps because you know, you look at an entrepreneur and the entrepreneur sees a problem and figures out a way to solve the problem. But right. then, you know, going from the zero to one, you have to convince people, right, that this solution isn't this, you know, weird, you know, non-trendy solution. Because I would say people, you know, wearing those, wearing those boots, okay, it's not just going to be naturally intuitive to them that, wow, I should, you know, just wear, wear those boots. And they're expensive, and they were expensive too. Very right? expensive, yeah. Speaking. But you were able to, you know, figure out to appease how to how to appease another demand, right? Which is guys wanting to be in a surfer magazine, right? Absolutely. And so you took that need, and then you connected the dots between a need of a of a larger scale, right? That's right. Yeah. And and the interesting thing is, even though I was aiming it at young male surfers, it was their moms who were buying the boots at Christmas, right? <laughs> And so the moms are going, well, these things are pretty cool, you know, and so they'd buy some for their daughter and they'd buy some for themselves. And, you know, the moms back in the Midwest and back East, they, they had to sit in these freezing cold ice rinks while their kids are playing hockey. <clears throat> so they started buying them for themselves. So it was really, but, but it never would have got to the moms had I not gone after those young surfers and created the fad. Well, talk, Brian, why don't you, why don't you talk about, why don't you talk about this? Cause I would say this is a big fear that most people have, which is, you know, being, being in a situation where 
you know, they're not making sales. They don't have money. You know, it's this, this anxious period that I would say stretches a person to figure out how to do something. Right. And in your case, it's okay. If it did the models, if that, they didn't, you know, if that didn't work now, yeah. I'm not selling a lot and I've spent all this money. Now I have to go figure out, you know, how to actually get people to buy into it and start using it. So your mind starts to, to, to work differently in those environments. And so maybe talk, talk through that and maybe other, some other key lessons that you learned, you know, kind of feeling for, uh, forward over this period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, when people think of entrepreneurs or business, you know, they see successful business, they think it starts out here and goes straight up to profitability but it never does it goes along hits a wall and you have a choice either give up or figure a way around it right and so if you can overcome that obstacle i, I see it as a series of plateaus right you come up then you're cruising on another level you hit another wall another choice do i overcome it yep there and the more you can overcome compared to your competitors the more market share you get and so it's this series of because Business will never be a straight line. There's always obstacles that will come up, whether it's shipping, marketing, what doesn't matter. And every time you can overcome an obstacle is, is called growth. And if you can overcome obstacles that your competitors don't, that's, that's when you start winning. Well, I don't think anything in life is on a straight line. When no, you're right. Human, when it involves human beings, like it's always just this, this, you know, this random, random curve all over the place, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, so let's kind of go into a few questions that I had kind of re regarding, uh, you know, your, you know, discovery of yourself as the entrepreneur, um, right. and how you align with, with others, right? Because, you know, you obviously were solving some problems, figured out the marketing angle, but then, you know, talk about, going, you know, because going from, you know, 5,000 sales to 25 to 200,000 sales, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you're, you really have to have other people involved. So during this kind of whole process, as you built the, the you know, billion dollar brand, right. what did you discover about yourself? And, and then what did you discover about others in order to form you know, a viable partnership or a viable, you know, well, I, I got a great story that I got a great story that addresses both of those things. Cool. <laughs> okay. So let's fast forward, you know, to year number six, you know, we're doing about two and a half million in sales and I borrowed 20 grand to get started or, you know, got an investment, but I had to buy them out and get bigger investors and buy them out and get bigger investors. And, and so I now did a deal with these three guys, uh, in Anaheim and we were all going to own the company 25% each, right? But there was a provision in the, the, the sale of the company that, that I didn't get my 25% stock until I finished this little trademark lawsuit that was going on. And I knew I'd, I'd win that. So I, I wasn't worried about it. But when I, you know, finished moving all the inventory up to the new warehouse in Anaheim, I went out on the road and my first stop was Huntington Surf and Sport, you know, and I walked in and the guy, the owner goes, hey, Brian, I heard you sold the company. And I went, what? <laughs> and I, he said, yeah, I called an order in this morning and they said, you don't own the company anymore. And I said, you're kidding me. They said that. And I went, you know, immediately got out of there and I went to the Shell gas station next door and called up the office. I go, you know, Neil, what are you telling people? He says, what do you mean? I said, you, you tell them I don't own the company. He said, well, you don't. I said, yes, I do. You're my three new partners. 
And he goes, no, you don't get your stock until you finish the law. And I, and I, like I drove back to San Diego and I was crushed and I pulled out the agreement and I read it and I reread it and I went, shit, I don't own the company anymore. And I went into this horrible depression. And, and so here I, is the answer to both, you know, the questions that you asked and this is both sides of it. What did I learn about my partners that they saw this transaction in a completely different light to me. They thought they were buying the business and eventually they'd give up 20% or 25% back to me. But me, I thought I was bringing them into my business as 75% owners. And when I realized they were right, I went into this horrible depression and that's, it took me three, three or four days to get out of that. And it was, it was actually my wife, you know, cause I, I was, lying on my back one night watching TV and I was absolutely, I couldn't make a functional thought for three or four days. I remember turning the TV off and I rolled over on my stomach and I started crawling to bed, right, on my hands and knees. And my wife looked at me and goes, you get up now and walk to bed like a man. You know, and as soon as I, you know, she shocked the heck out of me. And as soon as I got up off the floor, I started realizing, oh my God, there's so much more to life than this crappy little business. And what I learned, not exactly then, but in reflection, I learned that I was so identified with my business, I'd lost myself, right? I was a living, breathing human with a spirit and there's so many options in the world, but I lost myself as Mr. Ugg. And I, you know, it was a devastating thing. And so many entrepreneurs identify so much that they are the business that when the business doesn't go right their life doesn't go right and and really uh, you know the message here for every listener is that hey you are who you are and what you do for business is just something you do to pay the bills and keep busy you know ultimately you and your family and your spouse and your friends and you know that's the real life and don't identify so desperately like i did as you know, who I am being what I do. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a story that, you know, rings, you know, rings a few bells uh, for me. And I've, I've seen a lot of instances like, like this. And I would say, you know, entrepreneurs realize at some point that, wow, I have, I have strengths, uh, but there are certain weak, not necessarily weaknesses, but certain things I'm not good at that others are. And you That's would just, right. and you just assume that, you know, they have the same value system, you know, they have the same, you know, passion and drive that you do, but more often than not, they, you know, they, they don't uh, always, right? I think they, yeah. there are some, but that's the, you know, the importance behind really having cohesive, you know, core values, uh, cohesive yeah. and vision. But at the same time, you know, and I've, I've had to, to learn this in, in a lot of instances, which is, you know, we, we live in a, you know, as we were talking, a very we're humans. We're we're volatile. Things are always changing, right? And we forget things, and we you know we make mistakes, and that's why you know I would I would say we have a legal a legal system to ensure that we abide by a certain code, right? yeah. And not necessarily violate each other's uh, each other's rights, and obviously it's well beyond that at this point. But the purpose, you know, behind you know uh, corporate documents and operating agreements, right? Yeah. And, 
and being able to have protection measures in there. Like I didn't, who learns that stuff? I didn't, you know, you maybe learn it in law school, but you know, in business school, um, you know, at least undergrad, you don't learn a lot of that stuff. And so it's one of those, it, it bites, it bites a lot of people because, you know, human beings sometimes don't do the right thing and don't align with, uh, with that. Yeah. Let, let me, let me tell you my take on that, you know, cause I, I've had partners that I thought were the most evil people in the world because they didn't think like I did, or they had different goals. Like, like Neil thought he, he bought a business, you know, I thought I was letting him into my business, right? But what I've realized over all these years is that we all view the world around us from our point at the center of our own universe, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And, and so even though these guys were investing in my company, they were doing what they thought was best for them. I was doing what I thought was best for me. And these, these universes collide and it's like it happens out in the real universe you know the strong the stronger universe takes over the smaller one with the gravitational forces and everything and <laughs> and, and if there's two very powerful universes colliding you know god knows what happens there the whole thing explodes and that means you know a partnership or a or a, or a you know a business arrangement can completely explode or one can fold into the other very neatly and make it even more powerful yep. so I've, I've ruled out the fact that there's good guys and bad guys and, and, and sort of comfort myself to saying, well, I didn't understand his motivation as well as I should have. Very well if said. I had have understood his motivation, I wouldn't have gone into business with him. Mm -hmm. And so if you can figure that out and take the good guy, bad guy away from the equation, you'll make your life a hell of a lot easier and, and, and make better choices. That's a great, that's a very good, that's a very good point. And I think, yeah, I've, I've, I've thought often, you know, that, you know, hum I think we have a, we have a drive to want to be, you know, uh, most people that is like, we want, we want to be involved in something. We want to do good. We want to be successful. We want to make progress. We want to grow. Right. And I, I think, you know, most are built, built in with this moral, moral code. So yeah. You're right. It's, it's one of those, everyone has a, an initiative. Everyone has, you know, a motivation behind their, their actions. And I would say, especially as you're getting into, you know, those type of relationships is understanding the, the, the other party. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's really important. Well, well, let's end, let's end with this. Cause I know, I know, um, yeah, I know you have a lot going on in, in your world. Right. Why don't we, these are some questions I'm, I was just curious, uh, you know, curious to ask you. So, and this is not necessarily related to, to your, your business or your past. Uh, okay. It's, it's what is, what's maybe something in the, you know, the recent couple of months that has, that has surprised you either about yourself or about the world or about business or what's, what's something that has surprised you? My life now is sort of revolving around um, being a keynote speaker. And I've been like, I wrote a book called The Birth of a Brand. You mentioned that earlier. And it's doing really well on Amazon. And I, I didn't realize that that was going to lead me to the stage, you know, to speak about it. And I've since discovered that I'm really good at speaking and I, I, I'm, you know, making quite a lot of money keynoting big. Uh, events like I just keynoted the Inc. 5000 conference, you know, the couple of thousand people. And what surprised me is that I am now in the, in the infancy of a completely new industry, right? So you're never immune from you can't give birth to adults, right? Mm -hmm. Here I am in the infancy of a whole new industry and I have to learn all the hard knocks just like I did with ARG and just like I did with other businesses that I've started. And so 
the, the beauty of what I have learned is that I am still open to learning and creating a whole new uh, business entity for myself, which is going to be another 10, 15, you know, I've had accounting for 15 years. Then I had UG for 20 years. Then I got into a big concrete and steel business that I created 15 years. And now I'm about to launch into a, a keynote speaking career, which will be another 10 years, you know? So it, it's just that I, I'm so stoked that we all have the capacity to change and grow and, as long as you keep an open mindset, you know, that, that you know, I, I, my biggest challenge is understanding social media because it's like a generational thing, you know. But if I don't, I'm going to be a dinosaur. So I just force myself to carry on and learn it. And, and that's what keeps me, you know, active and uh, alert is just delving into all these new things. Well, it's one of those, you know, I think that I think, you know, we're, we're compelled to always grow. Right. And, yeah. and it's, and it doesn't matter what age, what age you're at. And even getting into to older age, I, I would say that the cycle of growth is, is uh, you know, is influential then. And if you're not, if you don't have that mindset, then something's going to happen to, to compel you to, to compel you to grow, whether yeah. you or not. <laughs> yeah. The alternative is getting old in an old person's home. And that's not where I want to, I don't see myself there. <laughs> All right. So here's another, here's another question. What is, what's maybe a, 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 an individual or a character maybe that is positively influenced you recently? There's a guy that I met on a cruise, uh, in December who was a great, you know, I've known about him for years, but I finally met him. His name is Les Brown. And you I'm yeah. sure you've heard of him. Uh-huh. And we, we had a fabulous time on a cruise together where we were both speaking and, uh, to watch him perform and see the, the, the absolute level of excellence that he, he commands from a, a stage, even though it's a small stage we were on, um, was truly inspiring. And to have him critique my talk was, was a thrill. And, uh, you know, he actually, he, he was sitting in the very back row when I gave my talk and he was the first one to stand up and give me a standing ovation. Yeah, that was a huge thrill for me. And it made me realize, wow, you know, I, I can even affect somebody that good. That, that, so that was a huge thrill for me. And, and, and that spurs me on to be a better and better speaker every time I go on stage. I bet. All right, last, qu- last question. No, Les Brown, yeah, Les Brown is, he's a pretty amazing, a pretty yeah. amazing guy. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you can't be inspired or influenced if you're, if you're around him. Yeah. So what is, you know, the, you're now, and we've talked on this and touched on this, uh, you know, a few, a few times, but you know, one of those, one of those things is, you know, people have this, this view of the future where they want to stop, right. They want to retire or they want to stop doing what they're, what they're doing. And, right. you know, I've, I've often thought that that relates more to not liking what they're doing. Okay. than it is stopping. Yeah. Um, stop doing what they're because right now, I mean, you, you don't have to do what you're doing, but yet you're in your third, you're in your third, you know, I would say career if you totally, yeah. Or yeah. calling, it sounds more like a calling now, but what is, what is it? What have you identified inside of you that, that has, that just keeps fueling you to, you know, be in Austin where you are right now, go to Colorado and speak there. Like what is, what have you identified as that fuel? Well, I, I love the entrepreneurial process. And right now, if I had to segment that, I, I really love women entrepreneurs. And I think that stems from the fact that, you know, I remember 
the biggest fights in my family was when, when my mother wanted to go out and get a job and my father absolutely refused to let her do it, you know, to the point where if you get a job, you're out of this house. You know, that was, that was how vicious it was. And so she didn't because she didn't have the financial means to get out. And I always thought that that was so unfair. And so now I just want to empower women to get into entrepreneurial, you know, you know, events so that they can be independent and, and it becomes their choice on how they live their lives. And so, but also, I mean, any entrepreneur, I love being uh, a catalyst. And my book is really, and again, that's called The Birth of a Brand. The book itself is a roadmap for entrepreneurs. And it's, you know, I've told you a couple of down stories, but in that book, there's 20 stories that are downers and 20 stories that are uppers, and it's like a roller coaster. Everybody tells me it's a really fast read because I'm sure they, they're, not, they're not sure I'm going to be around next chapter. That's <laughs> <laughs> a page turner. Yeah, and so it's a really easy book to read. And so the, the, you know, just having that out there is a thrill for me and to, to help entrepreneurs get along their path is, is really a, a big motivation for me to give back. Awesome. Well, Brian, it was, it was such a pleasure to have you on. I think this is going to be a great, a great value add to those that are, uh, that are listening, but we will definitely post uh, all the links to buy your book on, on Amazon great. and uh, make sure we spread the word, but you're an amazing man. Thank you for inspiring us. And, uh, okay. Great. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us as the Wealth Standard Podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life, liberty, and property. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you on the next one.